Welcome to Inside Olit, EA Belgium's podcast. I'm Cedric Hamakers, and today we're going to talk about cybersecurity. According to research from the Flemish government, one out of eight companies was a victim of a cyber attack in 2021. Cyber attacks are getting more and more frequent as well. One of the most known examples was the city of Antwerp that was hacked at the end of 2022, leading to several weeks and months of IT outages and hackers threatening to expose personal data of thousands of individuals. Cyber and data security is the number one risk according to the 2023 Risk in Focus and the rest of the top 10 risks are not even on the finished photo. What makes this the biggest risks of all and what can companies do to mitigate those risks? More questions than answers to start with, and that's why we invited two industry experts today. Jacob Marijn from Grant Thornton and Jan de Bond from Orange Cyber Defense. Jacob has almost 10 years of diverse international and relevant experiences in identity and access management, security, risk, compliance and privacy. He describes his own work style as a balance of structure and responsibility with an eye for the needs of others. And Jan de Bond is a seasoned security professional working on business-related information security challenges. His business background, combined with a broad insight in information security, forms an excellent basis to lead, engage, and communicate with people across different skills and divisions. Welcome, Jan and Jacob. Jacob, when we met a while ago, uh, you described yourself as someone who can talk with the techies, uh, but not quite the one that could do some penetration testing. So how would you describe your experience with today's topic? I think my experience with today's topic is mainly governance-focused, um, organizationally-focused, policy-focused. Um, so like you mentioned, we can talk with the techies. I understand what they're talking about. I know what they're doing. Don't ask me to do a pen test. Don't ask me to do technical assessments. But I know what's going on. I can translate the technical aspects to business aspects. I'm that in-between person between the techies, the ethical hackers, hopefully, and the business. Excellent. And what kind of projects do you work on? Oh, that's a very broad question, just because we do so much. So we tend to do end-to-end cybersecurity. It's mainly focused on maturity assessments, capability assessments, moving to cyber strategy, roadmap definition, and then, of course, helping the organization translate that roadmap to tangible and pragmatic results. Okay, an excellent first guest in uh, in today's podcast. Then Jan, in your bio on LinkedIn, it says you want to limit the business impact of a cybersecurity incident by continuously improving your client's cybersecurity resilience. What does that entail concretely? Limiting the business impact, um, the majority of the companies today, they really don't know how to handle an incident, a cyber incident at this moment. Um, They've already talked about or discussed, let's say, risks, but then more from a financial point of view. And at this moment, yeah, when a cyber incident basically hits the fan, yeah, um, how should you react? And this is where we come in and help them in, okay, uh, what are your current processes? Do you have processes? Um, did you already test them? Did you train your people to handle an incident? And this is, let's say, should be part of a larger crisis management exercise within your company. Welcome again, um, and I'm happy to have you here today to talk about cybersecurity. As a layman, it feels like the list of legislation around cybersecurity or that has a link with cybersecurity 
is endless. Jacob, maybe you can help clear things up for us a little bit. Which legislation is out there and what should be on top of our minds? It's a very exhaustive of non-exhaustive list. Um, I think the most recent one or that the one that gets the most attention will be the NIST2 directive, European Directive on um, Network and Infrastructure Security. But there's Everyone still remembers GDPR five, six years ago. The big hype, everyone needed to be compliant, has a very big security, technical and organizational measures aspect on it. Um, there's recently DORA, which has been launched on digital resilience for financial sector. There's, yeah, there's so much. It's a never-ending story. What we see also from a Belgium, but also from an EU perspective, is that every single legislation that's relevant for organizations is pushing in that cyber aspect that security aspect or resilience aspect. Are there any common grounds between those different frameworks and different types of legislation? Yeah, luckily what we see is that, um, especially with the NIS and GDPR, as a common baseline, they are all, let's say, based or inspired by either the ISO 27000 uh, family um, or the NIST, the American counterpart. Uh, and basically what they do or what we see is they add um, additional controls or layers on top of, let's say, the existing frameworks, which makes it kind of, if you do a yeah a deep dive within within those frameworks, you can filter out the common grounds and then try to establish, let's say, for your own sake, and because certifications is not always um, required from a from legisla legislative point of view. That means that you basically can decide for your own company, your own tire, uh, proportionate towards your organization. You can choose your type of framework that best suits you. Uh. I think indeed, if I can add on that, that's also an advantage in today's market. There's little you can do wrong by choosing any relevant framework because they're all built around the same foundations. It's all about identity management. It's about incident response and business con continuity, training and awareness. You can't choose the wrong one. It's just the accents are a bit different. The maturity is a bit different. The depth is a bit different. But um, let's say for that Belgian market specifically, that small, medium-sized organization market, you can't go wrong by choosing or ISO or NIST or CIS or even taking one of those UK frameworks. Take one. I think that's the first step and the best step. So, so we pick one and we try to comply. Are there other things to consider? Um, or is a, a framework really covering it all? It's a good question because it's just one small element of a very big story. What we see or what I mainly see from my perspective is um, that framework is already step five or six in a bigger process. We start at the very beginning is helping organizations understand the risk. I'm trying to make them aware that it's not something they have to do, but something they should want to do. We see, okay, the European legislations, Belgium legislations is pushing organizations. They have to be compliant or they have to do something because everyone knows and feels that if we don't force them, nothing's going to happen. And then, okay, once they understand that we have to do something or we want to do something or we want to move forward, that's when you start looking at frameworks. It's understanding the risks. It's okay, let's see, we need or we want ISO certification because we have to, because one of our bigger partners obliges it. And then it's, yeah, it's part of a very big story, but that framework is not step one. It's already 
if you're looking at frameworks, you're already three, four steps ahead. And do s large and small organizations benefit or have to look at all these legislations differently or the steps uh, differently between very large multinational companies and like, like Jacob mentioned, the, the, the SMEs um, here in Belgium? Well, depending on the type of legislation, um, you will always have a kind of a size cap rule where basically small the smaller micro and small um, enterprises are excluded basically and then yeah depending on um, yeah for example in the in the nis and uh, the network and infrastructure security directive yeah there you have for example um, the, the the division between essential and important ones and depending on your sector you will either have to comply with one or the other but it, at the end the the minimal measures you need to take they are almost basically for every company the same, even for the smaller ones. And in terms of investments, the proportionality is a very important one. You can't expect, if, if you're a company with a 10 million uh, euro turnover, that you um, yeah, budget five to six million euros in cybersecurity investments doesn't make any sense. Uh, so this is where the risk-based approach comes in very, very neatly and handy. And by the way, adopting to a framework, it's not uh, rocket science. It's best practice and it's an assembly of best practices. And it's the kind of um, um, where you basically look at, okay, every control that is in there, um, did we forget something? And what do we need to do in order to continuously improve our maturity as well? Because it's a, it's a continuous investment. So must organizations comply with one or multiple frameworks or is it indeed just the best practice and what part is mandatory and what part might be indeed best practice i'll give you the most consulting answer ever it depends must they comply in the end yes just from an organizational existence perspective if you don't do anything something is bound to happen and if you don't have the plans in place you won't be able to recover It's very black and white, very worst case scenario. Um, must you comply to frameworks? Probably because you'll have to from within your supply chain, going up or down. Other parties will start enforcing requirements on you. Um, from a cyber insurance perspective, those insurance companies will enforce certain frameworks, certain controls, um, and they all talk about the same topics. So if an insurance company or a third party, a large third party pushes their framework to you, it will be the same set of controls that you find in NIST or in ISO 27 or in, in any of the other ones. Should you comply? Must you comply? Yes, but not from a legislation perspective, from an existential perspective and from a supply chain perspective. Most likely, yes. And that's also towards those smaller companies. So yes, you don't have the $5 million cyber budget, But you still need to do something. You still need to have an incident response plan in place. You still need backups. You still need business continuity. Ideally, you still have some kind of vulnerability management in place. So if I understand well, all those frameworks, legislation, it doesn't differ that much from customers or suppliers' demands um, when they look at, uh, at the risks. Is that correct? Absolutely. And also what is very helpful, and this is something that we see now, regularly popping up in the legislations is the emphasis on the director's liability. So that basically the board needs to be aware about the cyber um, criminals, uh, about cyber incidents, and that they need budget and they need to give um, the necessary responsibility and the means towards IT, but also to the business. So that basically companies can get, let's say, grow in their maturity, in their 
cybersecurity resilient state. You both see a lot of organizations from uh, from your role. How would you assess the the current maturity of of the Belgian companies towards uh, cyber risk? It depends a bit on on the on on the sector sectors who are at this moment already regulated one way or the other. I like the chemical, uh, pharma, um, the, the medical industry. They are, let's say, quite already quite mature. But in some cases, it's only you know, from a checkbox perspective. And so, yes, we did a couple of stuff, but we really don't um, exercise it. From the other sectors, um, the moment that we see, for example, that IT is not considered as a core business, then the maturity in terms of cybersecurity state tends to be very low. Yeah. Then they need to do a catch-up. So that's also why regulators are stepping up because they see from a natural point of view, they are not going to invest it in it themselves. So they need quite some push in order to realize their uh, cybersecurity state. It's a sensitive question because we don't want to offend anyone, but I think indeed maturity is low. We have to be blunt, very blunt. It's Especially if you compare to other countries like UK, Netherlands, um, Luxembourg, maturity is just low. It's not good. Um, is it that Belgian mentality of people thinking it's not going to happen to us? There's no answer to that, but um, it's not okay. And that's why we see Europe pushing legislation, um, Belgium pushing legislation, Flanders doing those initiatives of trying to increase maturity and almost having a cry for help and a plead for please do something because it's really necessary and it's going to happen. We see it on a daily, weekly basis that attacks, incidents are happening, companies are being impacted. And yet still we see that feeling, that sentiment of, okay, but it's not going to happen to us and it's our neighbor who's going to get hacked or we don't have time, we'll first focus on operational investments. because And it's it's that very classical statement, it's not if but when something will happen and that's very applicable to the Belgian market. To give you a, a concrete example, a couple of weeks, uh, yeah, a couple of weeks before the actual Russia-Ukraine conflict started, um, our cyber stocks at the, the security operating centers, cyber security operating centers, they noticed an increase of um, attacks arising from uh, Russia towards not only U Ukraine, but the rest of the Western world. So this is basically the first time in history that yeah, an, an actual conflict, a war in real life started in cyberspace. So for those of, of, of the listeners who are not already convinced that yeah, cyber incidents happen, and it's not a question indeed of if, but when, yeah, this is, I think, a very practical uh, example of what are we facing at this moment. Cybercrime is now considered as being the third largest economy worldwide. There are more people on the offense side and on the defense side. Don't want to exaggerate as well, but um, at least a kind of common sense of urgency is now, uh, and it's, it's 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 getting better at this moment. Uh. It's indeed getting better, but the market is still very reactionary. So we saw what happened in Antwerp um, a couple of months ago. Then you see all those others, cities and communes. Okay. They understand, okay, we need to do something. We're going to get budget. You see something happens at um, at TV Hush. Something big happened. It was a newspaper as well. Then you see, okay, within that sector, again, a lot of reaction, some panic, a bit of hype. So it's very, um, how do you call it, cyclical. 
it's something happens, companies react to it, see, okay, well, we can use these budgets to spend on something else. Let's wait until something happens. And then again, we have that, that wave that goes up and down. For many companies, an incident needs to happen first before they react. I think that's a conclusion. It still feels like a far from my bad show for a lot of companies. And then it's not uh, just the responsibility of one person. There are different roles in an organization, different responsibilities within an organization. Um, can you elaborate on that a bit more, what the different roles and responsibilities are within an organization? I think the textbook answer is that cybersecurity is everyone's responsibility. Not of one person, not of the CISO, not of the CEO, not of um, the IT manager. It's everyone's responsibility to acknowledge the risks and do their best effort to to keep the organization safe. Main roles, of course, IT itself, depending on the size of the organization. I think from our perspective, we're more focused on that mid-market. Board responsibilities, they need to understand that risk. It shouldn't be seen as a cost. It should be seen as an investment into the future of the organization because it's necessary to keep it up and running. I think, uh, Cedric, for you, most relevant also from a controlling perspective, internal audit risk management perspective, um, it's their responsibility to push and to trigger the rest of the organization to understand those risks and to mitigate those risks. What role can or what role should internal audit play within an organization? It's a very good one, um, because what we see even for the larger companies, um, risk management is, in 90% of the cases, financially based. It's company-based, it's business-based, and cyber risks are, yeah, to bluntly say it, yeah, it's a problem of IT. They just push it away towards IT, mainly due to the fact, my humble opinion, is that most of the uh, risk managers residing in a company these days are yeah, more business risk managers or financial risk managers, and they don't have any you know, uh, IT background, so they don't fully understand the risk, and that's also the where the translation problems lies towards the boards or senior management. So there's a huge, still a huge work in terms of uh, education that, um, yeah, that's necessary. And this is where um, people like uh, Jakob and myself can do the translation and help them basically bridge the gap between business and IT, also in terms of risks. And then you see that you can start, let's say, working together. So there's a lot of building bridges necessary uh, for for the sake of a company uh, at the end. Because otherwise, you still work in silos and then this is something cyber criminals really like. So I hear there's a crucial role for internal audit to be that translator uh, between uh, the technical guys and the business and the risk managers within a company. Yeah, well, I think if I can complement on that as well, I think there's also a role in um, shedding some clarity and some light in the complexity of all the different frameworks and requirements um, a company has or needs to comply to. We, we had a discussion in the beginning of we have DORA, we have NIST2, we have GDPR, we have specific control frameworks pushed from all those organizations. I think it's not the sole responsibility of internal audit, but a key role of them is to help an organization understand that all those controls are very similar. They have some specific aspects, but to help the organization, help the IT team as well find the correct mitigating controls or mitigating measures to those controls and to those risks and shed some light on it because um, we see it so often. A smaller company is working for three or four big organizations in Belgium. Every single one of them has their own control framework and they just push it and say, 
you have three months to be compliant or you lose our contract. And then it's panic. Because, okay, no, what do we have to do? We don't understand this. And then oh, no, we also got this from another company. And then we also have now um, these two that we need to comply to. Okay, how do we bring everything together? How do we optimize those controls? Again, it's always the same. It's trying to simplify everything. And that's, a, I believe, a key role of the internal auditor to help the rest of the organization understand that and mitigate that. If I may comment, um, if you look at regulations and the knowledge about regulations within a company, it's, uh, it's very poor at this moment. And this is due to the fact that uh, most of the legal counsel that resides within a company is, yeah, they are specialists in, in contracts and not in regulations. So, um, and, and this is, this is a major problem that we see. So companies will face sanctions from a proactive point of view and not from a reactive point of view, which is with GDPR the case. Uh, but it's also a mentality change that we, that we see, hopefully, uh, for the better good. No, I think that that's a very good point, is that we're discussing how to comply to frameworks, but indeed a lot of companies don't even know that they have to comply to frameworks just because they don't know it exists or they don't believe that they are or they fall under the scope of that, that legislation. Um, so that's an as big of an issue as trying to comply to those specific frameworks. Jan, you mentioned that current risk management in organizations is often focused on, on financial and operational um, risk and not necessarily on IT risk. Is managing IT risk then so significantly different for those risk managers or is it just unknown to them and they don't know how to handle it? They don't know about the risks. They don't know the ins and the outs. It's not that different from other risks than it's just another type of risk. And if you don't know what the potential impact is of a cyber incident or the fact that you don't have multi-factor authentication or um, your backups are, yeah, you, you do backups, but you don't test them. Yeah, what is the, the inherent risk uh, beside it if you don't test them? And in, in the case of a cyber incident, you need to recover from your backups and they don't work. Yeah, okay. So that's, it's the unknown factor is a very, uh, is a very difficult one. It's a very, it's a very nasty one. And then, yeah, of course, the um, there is a need for investments later on, let's say, to mitigate the risk because you can't accept them all, unfortunately. Um, then that's a budgetary problem, and then you face the awareness problem. So it's a it's a kind of endless loop uh, where you where you're stuck in. Doing business automatically means you have some risk appetite. Like without risk, no business. Or there are different levels of risk appetite acceptable within cyber risks or or there's a few areas where zero risk like for example with personal data should be accepted by the companies it's it's a good question i, I want to be careful how to answer this one um, but i think there's always room for risk acceptance um, not everyone is a bank i think that's a, that's an answer we get from so many companies that we are not a bank so we're not going to spend x amount of euros or dollars on cybersecurity. On the other hand, yeah, do you really want to accept any risk from a cyber perspective? Well, it's difficult to to single out cyber risks because, okay, a power outage is a risk or threat to an organization. Does it come from a cyber attack, a cyber incident, or is it just someone who pulled out a cable? So it, it's difficult to pinpoint it to cyber risks. But I think the most important aspect is for organizations to just understand the risks. 
um, and how likely it is to happen. It's a, it's a standard risk exercise, um, likelihood and impact. Impact can be calculated, becomes a financial number. Um, and then you're just in the boardroom discussion of how much money are we going to spend. It's trying to understand those risks, but also not trying to sell fear. That doesn't help because that just leads to panic reactions or very short-term reactions to a spike in investments and then nothing happens and okay, money is moved to other areas. People need, really need to understand that the risk is there and they want to mitigate those risks. So it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. Maybe better to compare it to ultra runners. Those people who keep on running for 200, 250, 300 kilometers or days without, uh, without stopping, that's uh, even better. Um, we're always running behind the facts. It's always solving the latest issues. And there's always someone who finds something new. There's always a new vulnerability. There's always a new tool that's been developed by a country or a, a specific group. So there's, there's no end story. And that's not an answer that people want to hear because, okay, but that means that we have to keep spending money. Probably, yes. Yeah, and in, in, in the past, spending on the technology side was more than enough. Because what did cyber criminals do? They just keep on banging on the front door, on the firewall. And the bigger the firewall, the difficult, the more time it will take, let's say, to get in. So what they did say, hmm, technology is now improving. Let's go, let's go and find, let's say, a weaker, a weaker link within the organization. And they soon turned out to be that the, the human factor was a very nasty one. So that's why we say always, yeah, let's have a look at, and from an investing point of view or a risk point of view, let's do a balanced approach, meaning that you balance technology, people, and the processes behind it. A any best practices you can share with our, our audience uh, besides the classic 30-minute annual mandatory uh, online phishing training that, that most employees need to follow? We always advise, start with your incident management capabilities. Start very small because uh, it's it's... Yeah, it's changing people's behavior towards uh, how they act with uh, systems, applications, data. So start very small, count in the necessary time that you need to do it, and go from there. Start very small and expand, let's say, slowly but gradually, and take your time. I think an aspect there as well as we've been talking a lot about hacking, external impact on the organization. Is that your biggest fear? As an organization, is ransomware really going to happen to you? Probably, but it's maybe also John from accounting uh, putting all the money from the corporate account into his personal account because he can do both the invoice creation and paying the invoices. So an organization really needs to understand the risks and the threats that exist to their organization and then choose. And choosers are losers because you always have to make a decision. Um, but I think, and that's my personal opinion, is um, let's focus on the people aspect first. I believe that the insider threat within the organization um, might be bigger than script kiddies or external groups trying to attack you. Does it make sense for an organization to have a, a cyber risk insurance? It depends. I'm also going to offend quite some cyber insurance companies by saying I don't believe in the added value of cyber insurance. I think there are companies who could benefit from it, but my personal belief is that they could invest that money that they pay on fees into increasing maturity. You just need to yeah, look at, does it make any sense for my company or not? And by the way, test it uh, from an anecdotal point of view. We once had, um, where we did a tabletop exercise, a simulation exercise of a ransomware attack. And we asked the question, yeah, Mr. Company, do you have a cyber insurance? Yes. Did you test it? I, did you dial the number and 
Uh, no, we didn't. So a couple of, couple of weeks after, they, they, they called me back and said, Jan, we tested it. I said, ah, okay, and how was the experience? And they said, yeah, it was quite uh, funny. Aye, funny uh, between brackets. I said, yeah, we called the number and basically um, somebody picked up the phone and said, yeah, hello, how can I help you? Yeah, we need, and we have a cyber incident. Uh, okay, please hold on, sir. I will uh, have one of my colleagues calling you back. Three quarters of an hour later, uh, somebody called back and said, hello, this is travel insurance. How can I help you? And he said, yeah, it was quite funny. It, we found it hilarious here. Yeah, but if, if you have a, a real cyber incident, it won't be that funny anymore. So for some companies, it is a value add, but like in many things, it depends. Indeed. It depends. <laughs> yeah. All right. Excellent. That brings us to the end um, of this podcast. Thank you very much, Jan and Jacob, for those valuable insights. And whoever wants to know more about cyber risks, take a look at our website, iiabelgium.org, or check out our training portfolio. Thanks a lot, everyone. My Thank pleasure. You.